You're listening to Zen Sandwich, a podcast for the independent mind and anyone who embraces life despite its absurdities. Join former attorney and professor turned Japanese papermaker Mark Reed each week as he talks with creative, inspiring, and influential people, or as he shares his own research to help make your world a little better today than it was yesterday. Hey, here we are. I am so delighted about my guest today. Kaylee Mycroft is an internationally recognized ability activist. If you don't know what that means, I, I had not heard the term before either. I love it though. Uh, Kaylee has uh, cerebral palsy. And let me tell you folks, she has accomplished feats that are well beyond my abilities. In 2015, at age 21, Kaylee became the first female quadriplegic to summit Mount Kilimanjaro. Less than a year later, in May of 2016, she, along with one other, became the first wheelchair athletes to complete the Comrades Marathon. This is the world's largest and old, oldest ultra marathon. It's approximately 89 kilometers. And for my American audience, that's about 55 miles. Before these outstanding physical accomplishments, Kaylee's activism had already garnered her international recognition. She was awarded the International Children's Peace Prize in 2011. Uh, Kaylee was awarded the Peace Summit Medal for Social Activism at the World Summit of Nobel Peace Laureates in 2012. She was awarded the World of Children Youth Award in 2013. She won the Turner Social Change Prize in 2017 and was welcomed as an Obama Foundation African leader and global changemaker in 2018. In 2019, she was appointed to the Global Board of Generation Unlimited, a global initiative housed under UNICEF, the United Nations Children's Fund. She was a founder and still on the board of the Cayley Campaign in South Africa, which promotes and provides mobility and education to disabled children. She is a global ambassador for the Cayley Foundation USA, which is a social justice foundation that presents events, projects, and programs that focus on the inclusion of children, youth, and adults with disabilities. Oh, yeah, and she just wrote a book out just uh, less than a month ago called Unapologetically Able. Welcome. Kaylee Mycroft. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be chatting with you. Me too. Well, that's it. That's the end of the podcast. It took me so long to get through everything you've accomplished that, you know, I've used up our time. Basically. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we keep ourselves busy over here. <laughs> no kidding. Oh, how old are you now, Kaylee? You're 27? Yeah, 27. <sighs> you have accomplished <laughs> so much. I want to start with the reaching the summit of Mount Kilimanjaro. Yeah. It's, that's incredible. And explain to people who don't understand how exactly that works. I presume you're in a, a kind of special off-road wheelchair that can handle the terrain. Yeah. So I was in a specially designed um, chair. Uh, we called it Scotty, like beam me up Scotty. And um <laughs> He was hardcore and uh, I was carried by, supported by like nine guides on summit day. Um, the rest of the time it was six or seven people. Um, and I remember getting there and just uh, feeling so exhausted and <laughs> 
so like ill from altitude sickness and like but I can't express to you how like excited we were to be there and it's very beautiful I think everybody should go up there (laughs) and just like it gives you a whole different um perspective on life and just what we are capable of and even though we were feeling horrendous <laughs> we were so happy and like so proud as well that we made it up there because um there were many things that happened that could have um stopped it and so we we overcame a lot of things and um it, it was a big deal <laughs> yeah how, how long does that take we took five days we took five days five to days. get up there um so it was five days up and two days down wow. and what i love about the the mountain is that people really focus on reaching summit and forget that you have to get yourself down the mountain again <laughs> um and so from that like whoo we made it to go like oh no we have to do another two days of walking and i remember um i think we were about like two three hours from finishing from getting to the bottom and for that entire time the only thing that i was thinking about was um my motorized chair and the fact that it had armrests because (laughs) my mountain chair does not have armrests and (laughs) i think it's a bit insane to me that that's what was on my mind when we achieved this huge thing. I was just like, I really want to rest my arms to not think about that yeah. part of my body. And it makes you appreciate the small things that you have as well. Yeah, I, I think people who are, are unfamiliar with uh, your, your situation, they, they have a misconception that you're just being carried up mount kilimanjaro and that you're just along for the ride it, it's not no. quite that it's not quite that simple is it not simple at all I, so i um i left that mountain with a six pack that i've never had in my whole life <laughs> um <laughs> and it's it lasted about three weeks <laughs> and um I think people think that because you're in the wheelchair that you're not working and that's just not accurate. We, um, I have to keep myself balanced. I have to keep myself in the wheelchair, even though I'm strapped in really tight. I have to um, counter what's happening. So while I'm being carried over boulders the size of humans, like I have to, keep myself in the chair and um we we had to learn how to communicate about that because um it was the first time that the guides had taken anyone up in the wheelchair Mm. um so our first day was a bit rough (laughs) and (laughs) um 
we had a slight miscommunication and um, I ended up in tears, but it's fine. We figured it out um, and we realized that we need the guides to communicate with me where we're going. So instead of um, them trying to figure it out in Swahili and then communicate that with me, um, we decided it was easier for them to teach me like mountain related relevant <laughs> Swahili words. So they, yeah. I, I didn't even think about that. The guides were <laughs> actual local, like speaking Swahili. They weren't. Yeah, speaking. yeah. So the only people who they only employ locals to um, be guides on the mountain. So that was something that we didn't think about either. And so when we got there, plans were being made in Swahili. Um, I don't speak Swahili. So that was an interesting um, experience. Okay. Well, that's yeah. a good segue to to the ultra marathon uh, because yeah. I I did hear you on one other podcast and describing that that similarly that you know you're not just along for the ride and I think you said um, and another thing that people need to realize about this ultra marathon about it being the biggest one in the world is something like twenty thousand or twenty five thousand people compete in this thing and so you're yeah it's a it's a lot of us. Yeah. <laughs> um, and when we started doing it, we had to fight a little bit to get into the, the race. Um, we, we, we're in now. And so <laughs> um, I, I remember the first time we did it in 2016, I was freaking out. I lost my mind because we were behind like 9,000 people and we were it was just, I have never had that level of stress around like people being around. And um, that's overwhelming for anybody. Um, because I'm at hip level. So I can't see what's going on. I have to trust my partners that they are paying attention. Um, but also, it's a big learning experience for everybody because um, people don't really expect to see a wheelchair athlete um, or they didn't. <laughs> um, they do now. And um, so there's a whole awareness raising that we have to do about educating people about just because I'm in the wheelchair, I'm not responsible for your well-being. Right. Um, like you have to be responsible for yourself and you have to pay attention the same way that I have to pay attention. Um, and we're going to do our best to not run into people. But if you run into my wheel, that's not on me. Right, right. <laughs> you have to be self-aware a little bit too. And so I think we've all moved into a better place of understanding and awareness around um, responsibility and like self-accountability in being an athlete mm -hmm. and not placing more 
onto us as a as an adaptive team just because we have more to worry about you know yeah um did that take the same um, same kind of toll on your body doing the, the ultra marathon as as uh, summiting Kilimanjaro? I think they're very different experiences um, because the the marathon is twelve hours long, so it's very and it's a solid twelve hours. That's very different to um, climbing for two, three hours and then having a three course meal and then sleeping and then, you know, it's a very um, diverse experience. But I think my, my body has to work in similar ways. Um, I have to brace myself against the downhills and the uphills and the flats. Like, wow. people think that when you're in the wheelchair that downhills are easier they're actually a lot harder because you have to control the wheelchair a lot more than if you're on the flat mm. um it's not the advantage that people think, think it is um well, what is the what's the most frustrating thing for and i, I don't mean physically i mean like um for people who aren't familiar with cerebral palsy or just disabilities in, in general, some people are oblivious, right? What, what, yeah. frust, what frustrates you the most or what, what do you wish people understood better? Wow. Okay. <laughs> a lot. <laughs> um, I, that's a big question. Um, so I obviously can only speak for my own disability experience. For me, I think it's people underestimate the small things and the small things build into big things. And that's where like my complexes live. It's in like how regularly we have to advocate for ourselves about random shit. Like, <laughs> like hey, can you make these door handles lower because I can't reach them? Or, hey, can you put this on a light switch so that my service dog can access it? Like, and can I get a menu, please? Mm. Like, people don't give me menus. Wow, you go to a, a restaurant and they don't, they'll give the other people menus and they won't give you a menu? Yeah, that happens so much so regularly and um <laughs> you know i could react in a way of like why are you not giving me a menu i'm a person right. i'm here to eat like i could be very aggressive about it but i you have to pick your battles you have yep. to choose the fights that you're gonna have and to me i feel like Often it's more effective to to make people uncomfortable <laughs> and to um, create a bit of an awkward situation. Sure. Um, I don't feel awkward. I'm like <laughs> I have enough like awkward moments in my life to just go to the bridge and carry on. <laughs> but so if I don't get a menu, I'm like, 
hi, can I just get, can you just get me a menu, please? And people are like, oh my God. Right. Then they feel. Why did I not give (laughs) a menu? But people just don't, you know, know. And that's what, you know, that's kind of why one of many reasons why I wanted to talk to you. I want more awareness out there. And, uh, you know, that's, uh, yeah, I I think you handled it the right way. You kind of, not, not to guilt them, but just to say, Hey, uh, where's my menu? You know? Yeah. Well, you know, sometimes I'm going to be spicy and like, I'm going to, depending on like how tired I am and how much coffee I've had that day, like it's going to, it's going to be, it's touch and go whether you get like a Katie that's chilled or a Katie that's ready to bite you. But I think I've also surrounded myself with people who, are ready to fight for me and it's not um like they will fight because they're activists and they're advocating not because i can't do it myself right (laughs) they know very well that i can fight for myself and they've witnessed it and experienced it and i've fought with them about stuff and this is what I think is the important takeaway is that the people who I surround myself with are also learning. Like we're all learning. I don't know everything that there is to know about disability. Like I know my specific experience. And so, and it's evolving, (laughs) you know, that I watched, a video that we made like three, four years ago. And I cringe when I watch it because I, I said something like, like, I just want to be able to inspire people. And myself now, I die. I'm like, why did I say that? Because... <laughs> Now I'm at a point where I'm like, I don't want to inspire people. (laughs) I want people to be motivated and I'm not going to inspire people just by like getting out of bed in the morning and doing essentially nothing with my day and being like an inspiration to you because I'm breathing. Like that's not, that's not the purpose. Right. You can be inspired by me if I'm doing inspirational things. Like, you can't be inspired by me if I'm just outside doing regular stuff. stuff. That's (laughs) not inspiring. You can be inspired by me for like climbing the mountain and running a 12 hour marathon. because that shit's hard. Right. Like that, that, takes, that takes resilience and stuff. But just existing is not. Right. I get it. Inspiring yeah. Well, let's, uh, let's talk about the book then. Uh, maybe you, yes. you approach that topic in the book. Uh, Unapologetically Able. Is it, is it mostly a biography or uh, is it more of an essay? Um, or? <laughs> Uh, I think the way that I would describe it is I don't think it's a biography in the sense that it is not chronological. Um, 
it's organized in themes and it's organized in stories. And like, it's, so it's a collection of stories from my life as a disabled person. And I really like that, but the people who've read it who know me, they have told me it's like I'm sitting there having a conversation with them. <laughs> um, and I love that because it very much is, you can hear my voice in it. And yeah. the way that I speak is the way that I write in the book. And I think it's, um, <laughs> it's a little insight into how my mind works. I, I love um, the, the inscri- there's an inscription in the front and I, I can't quote it verbatim, but it was something like, you know, you told me I'd never be able to write, ha ha or something yeah, like that. Yeah, they said I would never be able to write. Um, and I, I think that's how I approach life as well, is that you gotta approach it with a sense of humor. And like yeah. some of it's really serious and intense and vulnerable and emotional. And, um, but some of it's really funny. And I think that that's how life is, you know. Mm. Um, I didn't want to write a book that was like preachy and telling people like, this is how you need to engage with disabled people. Because really, I'm one of millions of disabled people who each have their own expectations of how people engage with them. So I don't want to have my book be like, these are the rules. A pedestal of yeah. like, this is how you need to engage. My book is me speaking about my experiences of how I've engaged with other people and how they've engaged with me and how that made me feel. More of a mem- memoir. Been, yeah, I, I guess you could say it's a memoir. Mm. Um, and like, we put it in the self-help category just because it's um, it was my self-help book. <laughs> <laughs> and so I think that's really helpful to people to kind of see my process of learning how to understand myself and how... I interpret things and kind of writing the book brought up a lot of things for me and it was really a transformative process and some things that I thought I was over um, and like had let go of, I really have not. Uh, (laughs) Um, And so I wrote the book and um, had a bit of a meltdown and a breakdown and like I'm in therapy now, which is cool. And um, I think it's just really important to be vulnerable with with your story. And um, I don't need to protect it as like an international secret, you know. Um, I, I think it's more helpful to share my doubts and fears and questions and insecurities because everyone has them and I think 
Disabled people are generally expected to be like this positive shining light for non-disabled people to like feel better about their own lives, which is impossibly ableist. <laughs> and um, it's hard to like drown out the the ableism that we are exposed to every day um, and internalize. <laughs> and so it's a big journey to kind of embrace your disability as something that is valuable yeah. and important and defining. You know, people often are like, I'm not defined by my disability. And in the first three pages of my book, I'm like, my disability defines everything. <laughs> <I do." laughs> I think Brilliant. it's important to recognize that, that my disability is a huge part of my identity and that that's not a bad thing. Right. I love that. Um, yeah. You've... Uh... I imagine you've got several more books left in you. Um, you've, you've accomplished so much, more than most people in the world ever accomplished in their entire lives, honestly. And that's badass, by the way. Uh, you're Thank still you. in your 20s. Yeah. Uh, what's left on your bucket list? What, what else do you want to do? So many things. Well, right now, right now, I just want to be able to go anywhere, like anywhere, Anyway, <laughs> being disabled in a global pandemic has been an interesting experience. Oh, I bet. Um, and being like relatively high risk has been an interesting thing to experience and process. And um, I think no noticing how the world in general has treated the disabled community during this pandemic speaks volumes you're very bright you're very intelligent and i want i want to put a suggestion on your bucket list i, I want you to become yeah. president of south africa i want you to become the first <laughs> person with cerebral palsy that becomes a world leader i i looked it up you know hey, like i don't know there were there's a couple of actors and actresses, but there hasn't been a world leader, and I think you're it. <laughs> no pressure, but <laughs> no pressure. Just like leading a country, I think that there are ways to be a world leader without the title of world leader. Well, of course. Um, you know, I think often you can do more when you're not the president. Yeah, that's true. And when you are, you have free so, you have freedom to be yourself more. Because exactly. if you're a politician, you've got to play this certain part. You've got to be exactly. This leader, right? And so, I appreciate the the vote of confidence. Um, well, you got time. You're young. You don't, you don't have to decide. That's what's right. for me. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to decide right now. Well, uh, <laughs> Kaylee, I um I do a short segment on this program called Five Minutes Then. And don't worry, it's nothing religious or anything like that. I basically mm -hmm. like to ask people how they chill out when the world gets tough. Uh, that could be meditation. It can be breathing. It can be working out in the gym, which I, I do know that you do. I've seen the Instagram uh, clips. Yeah. Uh, it could be hanging out with your dog, whatever. But, you know, you stated on that other podcast I mentioned earlier that uh, you are sometimes, by admission, uh, 
occasionally an emotional person. Mm -hmm. Okay. When that happens, what do you do to calm back down? Our family is very emotional. We are very emotional people. And when we feel things, we feel things strongly. And so <laughs> if I'm happy, I'm super happy. And if I'm sad, I'm super sad. And if I'm angry, like you gotta get out the way. But like I think um, <laughs> what what that leads to is well, is that we we have um you have to allow yourself to feel those things. And I think we often are encouraged to like manage our feelings better and yeah i guess there's something to be said for that but at the same time you gotta feel what you're feeling and we have a rule where you have three minutes to lose your shit and (laughs) then you have to gather your shit there you go and make a plan i like that so you're making space for your feelings but you're also telling them that they have to get in line in two minutes and um i (laughs) i remember when we did comrades in 2018 and it was like 23k's in and i was not coping and like physically i was fine but mentally i was not fine and so i'm crying now and my other partner um mark he had known me for for longer and he looked at me and he went kales you got two minutes and i was like okay "Okay, cool so i think it's (laughs) it's about sharing your strategies with other people because Mm, i like that how are you supposed to like sometimes you need to be reminded about your own strategies that you have worked out. But having people around you who are like, this is fine. You take your three minutes, right. but then we're going to get it going. And then we're going to make a plan. There you go, folks. Um, basically, accept your hard feelings. Have a good three-minute cry about it. And then get your shit together. <laughs> yeah. That's Kaylee's advice. <laughs> Kaylee, where, where should uh, where should people go? Of course, they should buy the book. I'm going to put that link uh, at, yes. the, at the top, of course. Um, and then where else should they go to, to follow you? Uh, Instagram? Is that the best place? Yeah, I think I'm most active on Instagram. Um, and um, I also have a mailing list if people want to get on board with that. How do they, um, how do, they do that? Yeah, so you can go to, um, what is it? <laughs> they can go to um And it's a weird spelling because. Did that one more time. Katie.co.za. Oh, Z-A, okay. I always get thrown when Zed, you know, Americans say Z. Oh, sorry. Yeah, that's all right. No, no, no worries. I've got listeners all over the world. I forget. I mean, um, I live in Japan. I've got you know English friends, and but I I don't say Zed, so I I yeah. it catches me off guard. <laughs> anyway, go ahead, please. I'm sorry. Yeah. So, uh, Katie, that's the other today, and um, you can sign up for my mailing list and and get um updates on 
book stuff and live stuff and um yeah but instagram is definitely the place to to be for current um things all right and <laughs> yeah well, i'm signing up today for sure well uh awesome. yeah i'll put that i'll put the instagram on there and I, like i said i'll definitely put the book link um well, that's it, folks. I uh, If you like this episode, go to patreon.com slash sandwich. Give us three bucks. I'll send you a handmade postcard. Uh, Kaylee, I'm going to send you a hand. My wife and I, we make Japanese paper. We make handmade awesome. paper. Yeah. So as a thank you, I, uh, after we get off air, I'll get an address and I'll send you a, a postcard that we make. So, Amazing. I'm so excited. There you go. And uh, so, and if you listen and you sign up to Patreon, I'll send you one as well. Um, this podcast remains ad free. I want to keep it that way and grow it. Uh, every contribution helps. Kaylee, thanks again so much for your time. Thanks for all you do. Thank you so much for having me. I love that we can share the, the, the vibe. <laughs> <laughs> me too. You got a good vibe going on. <laughs>